Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. I want to continue really what I started last week, and uh, we're going to be talking once again about salvation being a person. This is just such an important topic. Uh, We had salvation as a person, not just an event. And then life is relational, not just transactional. It's more than just uh, the day that you got saved. It wasn't just that transaction. It is, it is a lifestyle that we begin to live because of the one who is living, who comes and lives within us. And so the day that we got saved was just the beginning of an entire lifestyle change, a new life in Christ. And so... It's more than just an event, and it's more than just uh, a religion. It's more than just studying your Bible and becoming a better person. Salvation is the person of Jesus Christ. And so, if we don't understand that, then then we have religion without the Holy Ghost. We have Christianity without Christ. And then salvation becomes your effort, it becomes your works, uh, and it's apart from Jesus Christ. You know, you can live the American Christian life, and Christ really doesn't have that much to do with it. And we don't want to be that way. We want to be those who are uh, just experiencing the presence of God each and every day of our life, knowing that Christ lives in us, and he's wanting to do some great things. The, uh, I mentioned this a few months ago, but the old term of uh, what would Jesus do? Uh, it's not a bad question, but it's not really the best question. The best question is, what am I going to do about this situation since I have Christ living on the inside of me? What are we going to do in this situation? That's better than what would Jesus do? Because we are not just to pattern ourselves after him, we are to live as if, not only as if, but because He is living in us. And so I'm not just pattering myself after Him. I'm living as Him. He's living as me. The two of us have become one. Christ in us, and then we are in Him. He's in us. And so the two become one. And so we are to go through life that way. Not just me trying to get better so I look a little bit more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. No, I'm living as him. He's living as me because the two of us have become one the same way in your life. So it's more than just what would Jesus do. It's what are we going to do together in this situation. Does that make sense? And so we're talking about salvation being this person. I just want to ask you this morning, what is it that makes a false god a false god? What makes a false god a false god is that there's nothing, there's not a person behind the image. Whatever they build, whatever they, whatever idol they, they construct, the Israelites made a, a calf, uh, there was no entity behind that structure that they built. With us, there is a person. And so it's not a false God. It is the only true and living God. And he said, I am the great I am. And so it's all about the person. 
Without the person, all you have is religion. And I'm so thankful that we are coming into a deeper revelation of understanding that we have this personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be just trying harder, wanting to do better. Are we to, to, do, to do works? Yeah, but this, that's the fine line we have to make sure that we're walking in. We do works. See, the, the Bible says faith without works is dead. It doesn't say salvation without works is dead. It's faith without works is dead. So we are to do the works, but we work because we're saved. We don't work to get saved. And too many people, I, I know American Christianity is, is just that. Try harder, do better. And if I could just put in a little more effort, well, I want to try harder. I, I do want to do better. I want to... I want to go from glory to glory, but it's not about that for my salvation. My salvation is in the person of Jesus Christ, not in the works of my flesh. I hope that makes sense. So, salvation is a whole relationship with Jesus Christ when you are born again. Life can only come from life. And Jesus is, is life. He says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You know, too many times we, we, we have the mindset of death here in the physical realm sometimes. A lot of times when, whenever they witness, they witness like, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Well, I guess that's, that's an okay question. You know, I want people to understand that you are going to die one of these days. We're all going to die. Where will you spend eternity? I guess that's an okay question. But the better question is, is do you realize that you can have life and have it more abundantly for all of eternity starting today? That's a better question. It's about life instead of death. Yeah, we're all going to die, but that's talking about the physical. Let's talk about the life of the Spirit that comes from within, because that's where we're supposed to be living from anyway, from the inside out. For most of my life, I live from the outside in. Working from the outside, trying to get better on the inside, whenever I've been renewed on the inside by the person of Jesus Christ. So if I would turn that around and begin to live from the inside out because of Christ in me, it changes my whole way of following Christ. Praise the Lord. So all of that is why it's so important to understand that salvation is the person. We're going to talk about a very familiar uh, passage this morning, a couple of very familiar passages actually. Uh, Pastor Josh uh, referred to this last week, but we're going to study it in more detail today, and that is... Uh, Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. So in Luke chapter 19, we start out in the first verse, and it says this. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Jericho is a very interesting city. Jackie and I were there in 2011, and we had the uh, blessed opportunity to go through. It, it's interesting today because when you go into Jericho, uh, it, it is Palestinian controlled. And so we had a Jewish uh, tour guide 
And so they pull up to the city limits of Jericho and they let him, same way as Bethlehem. Bethlehem is Palestinian control. So they pull up to the city limits. There's a bench right there. Our Jewish uh, guide gets off the bus. And he sits on the, on the bench. We go in for two hours into Jericho. We come back out and we pick him back up. He's sitting on the bench. He can't go in to Jericho today because it's Palestinian-owned uh, control. So in the day, it was Jewish. It was a Jewish community. In fact, it was a community that, <coughs> excuse me, many of the uh, temple priests from Jerusalem would, uh, their inhabitation, their homes were in uh, Jericho. Jericho was about 15 miles from Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem up on the mountain down to Jericho, because Jericho is down by the Dead Sea, it's the lowest place upon the earth, uh, is about 15 miles, and it's a 3,400 feet drop in elevation. Jericho was considered the city of palms. In fact, uh, Herod the Great had his winter home, like we do here, we go to Florida. Well, Herod the Great, his winter home was in Jericho. And so you have this lush palm city of Jericho. There's a lot of wealth there. There's uh, major thoroughfares were at Jericho. In fact, you went four different directions. You could go to Europe, you could go to Asia, you could go to Saudi Arabia, or you could go to Egypt. All four of those places all kind of intersected at Jericho. So it was a big trade city. It was a very busy, bustling city. Therefore, there was also a lot of beggars who lined the streets day in and day out because of the wealth that was there. <clears throat> so they had just like most of our big cities today, we had there was wealth, there was also poverty. So Jesus entered and was just going to pass through Jericho. Verse 2, now behold, there was a man, <coughs> excuse me, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. The word Zacchaeus means light and hope. Well, you know Zacchaeus' life, he's a tax collector. So he really winds up becoming a person that his parents weren't very proud of. They named him, in, especially in the Old Testament uh, times, in Jesus' days, they would name a child that would have a prophetic uh, meaning to it that the, the parent was hoping that that child would become. And Zacchaeus was named Light and Hope. He is, aren't you glad, though, that his life wasn't over yet? The story isn't finished. But at this point, Zacchaeus is living the low life. It says he was a chief tax collector. So let me just explain once again a, a, a tax collector. The tax collector in Jesus' day was the most hated person upon the face of the earth. There is no one living upon the face of the earth that is hated by the Jew any more than the tax collector. The reason was is because the Romans were in control and the Romans demanded taxes from the, from the Jewish people. And they knew that the best way for them to collect those taxes is if you could get a Jew to take money from the Jew, it would be a better proposition for them. So they would hire a Jew who would betray his own people 
and would go in and collect the tax money and give to the Roman government. And the Romans, if, if for example, they would say, okay, your household owes $100, well, then the tax collector could go in and charge whatever he wanted to. He'd usually double it. Instead of 100 he would charge 200 He'd give 100 to to Rome, and then he would keep the other 100 All tax collectors were wealthy. And they were not only wealthy, but they were the most despised, the most despicable in the eyes of the Jew. They were, they were, they were unsavable. That's what they would say. And they were so unsavable that their names were mentioned every Sunday in the temple. The tax collectors of that community, their names were read out loud in the, in the temple. And everybody was to stay away from them, have nothing to do with them. Because they were despicable. They were dogs. They, they were the most despised, hated people. And tax collectors had to have bodyguards because they were so hated and so despised. They were the mafia of their day. They, they were legalized thieves. Because Roman, uh, Rome authorized them to take all this money. They could take however much they wanted, however much they could get away with. And so you have a person here in Zacchaeus who he's even more than hated as a tax collector because what does it say? He's the chief tax collector, which means that he was the head and he had other tax collectors. He's the one who started the pyramid like Amway, you know. He started Amway started in Jericho. But that's the way, that's the life that Zacchaeus lived. He's hated, he's the most despicable, he's, he's a dog in their eyes. They absolutely despise. I, and Jesus, he has a way with tax collectors. You ever notice that? There, tax collectors are mentioned many times. Tax collectors and sinners is usually what it says. Jesus just seemed to have a, a way with tax collectors. He had a heart for tax collectors. There, there's one guy who tells in, in, in the Bible about Jesus comes along and Matthew is the tax collector, and he says, Matthew, come follow me. Matthew drops, he's wealthy. He drops everything he has, and he goes and follows. You know what's interesting about that story? Who writes that about Matthew? It's in the book of Matthew. Matthew is writing about himself and how Jesus come and saved him from a despicable life. I think that's pretty, pretty cool. Jesus has a thing for tax collectors. And you have to think, too, here's, here's Jericho, this prosperous city. So it's really a very good place if you want to be dishonest, if you want to make a lot of money. It's a good place to do all that. So it says that Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. That's about the only thing I remember about Zacchaeus from Sunday school class when I was a kid, a little flannel graph. Pastor Josh mentioned it. You know, Zacchaeus was what? A wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Yeah, I remember that as a, as a child. It, it, it always, I always think of Danny DeVito for some reason whenever I, <laughs> whenever I think of... And, and once again... Here's this little guy, so he's not only despised and hated, but he's also of short stature. So he probably went through school being picked on and, 
and ridiculed and made fun of and all those kind of things. But as a tax collector, he could be the big man in town because he was wealthy. But he also he had to have bodyguards because his life was in danger day in and day out. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for uh, he was going to pass that way because <coughs> he's wanting to see Jesus. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now, there was quite a stir in town because if you read the chapter before, chapter 18, you see where Jesus is coming into Jericho, and just before he gets into Jericho, what happened? There's a blind man, and Jesus heals the blind man. So Jesus comes in, he's... It's well known that the man who just healed this blind man is coming into town. So that's why there's such a large crowd. There's a lot of commotion. There's a lot of interest being stirred. And Zacchaeus, being the man he was, he had to keep track of all the stuff that was coming into, into, the, uh, into Jericho. He knew all, he had heard all this about, about Jesus. And so he's curious. He's wanting to find out what's going on. And it says here, it says, uh, he looked up in and he saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was in that tree the same way that he knew Zacchaeus' name. It was a revelation. Just living in the Spirit will reveal some things to you that sometimes may seem insignificant. Watch out for what's out, out there in that tree. Watch out for what's up ahead. There's a person up here. His name's Zacchaeus. I want you to have an encounter with. You know, the Holy Spirit was leading him. That's why Jesus said, today I must stay at your house. He's being led by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is saying, Jesus, here comes a guy. He's up in a tree. He's about the size of a cherry. And he, <laughs> he's up in this tree. And, and he, he needs you. So be looking for him. And it says, make haste and come down here. It's like, hurry your little self up and get down here. I need to see you today. And then it says, so he made haste. I think that's interesting. Verse 6, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Many times in Scripture we read where it says that Jesus received sinners but here we have the sinner receiving Jesus. I just think it's a neat little thing that Scripture just throws in there. Verse 7, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Now, who's they? We, we say that a lot, don't they? Well, they, they, say, they say this and they say this. Well, who's they? Well, they is the Jews, the priests, the high priests, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and the Jewish community. Whenever all of those people saw that Zacchaeus was being invited to be the host of the Savior, it made quite a stir. How could this guy who says he's a son of God, how can he go to such a despicable person's house? This is absolutely the most boring thing I've ever seen. I cannot believe that of all the people in Jericho, 
I mean, we have the priests here from Jerusalem. We have the high priests here in Jerusalem. You, you would think he would at least stay at the mayor's house. I mean, the guy who oversaw Jericho's sewage plant would have been a better place, a better person for him to have stayed with in the, in the eyes of the Jews. I can't believe that Jesus would stay at such an unsavable traitor's house. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone from false accusation, I restore fourfold. He's starting to sound somewhat like a lawyer here in the fact that he's he's going to do a little bit of bartering. He knows a little bit of the Old Testament of what it said. Uh, If you stole a sheep or a sheep, uh, someone else's sheep died within your care, you was to restore fourfold. And here he's saying, I'm going to give half... You know what Zacchaeus is saying? He's basically saying, I'm going to give everything I own back to the people. He's going to give half of his wealth back to the poor. And then with the other half, he's going to restore fourfold to anyone that he's misled. Well, he's misled everybody. He'd he'd spoken evil of them and and had had, uh, deserted them and had wronged them. So he's basically saying, I'm going to give everything back to the, to the poor. That's, that's another reason why he came down to Jesus in haste. Because whenever Jesus spoke this, it's like Zacchaeus is saying, man, we better, we better hurry up and get you to my house because tomorrow I'm giving my house away. <laughs> so Zacchaeus, he's, he's anxious, he's excited that about all the people, Jesus has chosen him. But it'd be interesting, the scripture doesn't tell us, but it would really be interesting to me to know how much conviction that Zacchaeus was under when he got to this point. We, we, we don't know. That's going to be one of those questions we find out one of these days in heaven. We come up to the wee little man and we say, you know, where was your heart whenever you turned? But a few weeks ago, I... I was trying to get across to us the difference between repentance and metanoia. You remember that? Anybody, anybody remember that? You see, the, the word repentance in Scripture really isn't a good translation. Uh, repentance means to do penance over and over again. And the reason that's not a good word is because penance has to do with uh, uh, just absolute despising yourself. And putting yourself down. And uh, should there be sorrow for what you've done? Yes, there, we should. Godly sorrow works repentance. But that's godly sorrow. See, man has a sorrow that is, I'm sorry I got caught. Uh, I'm a no good, filthy, I don't know why anybody would ever. That, that's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is recognizing the mistakes that we've made. And feeling bad that we've done that unto a holy God. And and turning and going 180 degrees different direction. That's metanoia. Metanoia is going one way and realizing my faults, my failures, and then turning back around and making the correction to go 180 degrees the other direction. Penance, repentance, doesn't always mean that. It means I'm I'm sorry that I, I did this, 
but then you may still go right on back and, and do it again, so you have to repent. It's doing it over and over again. You see the difference. It, it, it's a hairline difference, but it's a major difference, really. And so, here we have Zacchaeus, who is metanoia. He has a change of heart. He is going to go 108. He's been cheating people. He's been stealing from people legally. He's been, he, he's wealthy because of dishonesty. But now, all of a sudden, he's turning 180 degrees. He has had an encounter with the living God. I, I want to encourage somebody here this morning. If you have someone who is, if you have a prodigal, if you have someone that you're praying for, and it looks like it's just impossible, can you imagine how, to, to the Jew, it was impossible for Zacchaeus to be saved. They would read his name every Sunday and say, it's impossible for that despicable dog to be saved. He cannot be saved. You may have someone in your life that says, man, it just, hi, it would take a miracle to save that person. I can't believe how they've traitored us, how they've betrayed us. I can't believe the life that they're living. They're savable by the power of God. All they need, all they need is one encounter with Jesus Christ. One encounter with Jesus changes everything. So here we have a man who, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So he repents. Let's read that once again, verse 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Now this is probably the, maybe the key verse in all of this. Today salvation has come to this house. What's he saying? It's like, what? Salvation has come... He, he didn't get down on his knees and beg for forgiveness. He didn't grovel and, and cry and weep. He didn't, he didn't say the prayer. He didn't fill out the card. He didn't go to a class. He wasn't baptized. Jesus said, you have turned 180 degrees from the direction you was going. Today, salvation has come to this house. So, it's two things here. Salvation and the fact that he had a transformation. He had metanoia take place in his life. But secondly, salvation has come to his... He's referring to himself. Salvation. Me. Jesus Christ has, is coming to your house today. The person of Jesus Christ is our salvation. Do you catch that? It's an important detail. Because I didn't just get saved, mentioned this last week. We, if you've received Christ as your Savior, we didn't just get saved. We didn't just get something. We got someone. We got Jesus Christ. And he got us. Not too good of a deal for him, but that's the way it is. So, here's what we have to ponder. If Zacchaeus just turned and was no longer going to steal from people, but he was going to give everything back, and Jesus says, 
today you're saved. Salvation has come to this house today. What was it that took place that Jesus recognized that needed to take place for him to get to heaven? To him to, for him to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. It was a change of heart. What is it? Second uh, or First Samuel 16. Is it first? I always forget. First or second. I think it's First Samuel 16 and verse 7 where they're going to pick a king. And they're all looking at the, at the sons of Jesse, and they're all looking at the outward appearance. And in verse 7, I believe it is, it says, Man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks where? On the heart. So this is what took place. It's not a money deal. It, it had really very little. The whole thing about Zacchaeus being saved is that he had a heart transformation. Hallelujah. Now, there's another situation in the Bible that deals with money and salvation. Do you remember what that one was? It's the chapter before Luke, uh, Luke 18. It says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So uh, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. That's an interesting question. Why did, why did Jesus ask him, why do you call me good? Because he's wanting to get the man to think about what he's saying. Jesus is good. Amen? Jesus is God and Jesus is good. And what he's wanting this guy to realize is, hey, you're right in calling me good, but why do you call, why do you call me good? I am good because I am God. He's wanting that man to see that. He's wanting him to see that you are absolutely correct in saying, but, but why do you call me good? I can tell you why you should call me good, because I am God. Hallelujah. Let me read that again. Now, certain ruler asked him saying good teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life so jesus said to him why do you call me good no one is good but one that is god you know the commandments do not commit adultery do not murder do not steal do not bear false witness honor your father and your mother now let me just point out something here up to this point jesus mentioned commandment number seven number six number 8, number 9, and number 5. The first four commandments of the Ten Commandments are our relationship with God. The last six commandments are our relationship with man. So Jesus never mentioned any of the commandments that had anything to do with the relationship between him and the ruler. He mentioned five of the six that had everything to do with relationship between man and man. I think it's interesting, the one he did not mention was the last one, number 10, which is thou shalt not covet. And the reason he didn't mention number 10 is because it has everything to do with commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. So he's saying to Jesus, or Jesus is saying, hey, well, let's continue and read. Let's continue and read. He said, all these things I have kept from my youth. I've done all these things between myself 
and man. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Once again, it's not about the money. It's about a heart transformation. So he's telling him, I didn't mention coveting because it has everything to do with commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Because rich young ruler, up to this point, your God is your money. And what I am asking of you is I want you to give your money to the poor. And he goes on. And come, follow me. He's asking for a heart transformation, just like Zacchaeus had already done. Zacchaeus made the transition. Here's the young ruler. And he is challenged now. Can you do the same thing? Can you have a heart transformation and make me number one instead of your money being number one? Can you put me first, not covet what others have, not desire more? Can you give that up? Give it away and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of, of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? Because they're thinking the same thing. Finances instead of a heart transformation. But he said, <laughs> the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, wouldn't you know this would be Peter who would make a comment like this. See, we have left all and followed you. We just want you to know, Jesus. We want, you to be, we want to make sure you remember that when you came, we just dropped everything and we followed you. Sounds just like Peter. It sounds like us. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. You know, the, the rich young ruler, he, he just couldn't make that transition. There are people today, they are struggling in making that transition, making God number one. And I'm talking about even people who are in the church, people who come to church on a regular basis, many people. And I can't, I can't even say that I haven't struggled with that at times, of always keeping God number one. I'm so thankful for blessing, for, for even for material things. I'm thankful for that. But I never want those things to be ahead of my God. If we keep him number one, things are much more enjoyable whenever he's number one. Praise the Lord. So there was, do you see what God was trying to get to through Jesus Christ in Zacchaeus' life and the way that the rich young ruler responded? He's after their heart. Where's your heart this morning? Where is your heart this morning? Is God number one in your life in every situation? And then the last part of verse 10 says this, because he also is a son 
of Abraham. Because he also is a son of Abraham. You know, that's an amazing statement that Jesus makes to Zacchaeus. He's saying, I didn't make that transition very well. We're back on Zacchaeus. He's, Jesus says he has all of this stuff because he now, because he is a son of Abraham. He's saying he is a man of covenant. We are children of covenant through Jesus Christ. We've been grafted in. We are sons and daughters now of the Most High God. We are covenant brothers and sisters. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. But he's telling Zacchaeus that he is a covenant man. He's never heard, he hadn't heard that since he'd become a tax collector. All he had been called was a dog, was despicable, he was hated. He hadn't heard anyone say, yeah, but you're still a Jew. You are still a son of the Most High God. You are still of covenant. They didn't think he was of covenant. They said he was unsavable. He was lost. He could never be saved. But Jesus is saying, I'm saving you today. And I'm not going to take the time. We could go for another 20 minutes here. But in Ezekiel chapter 34, whenever Jesus said, let me, let me get the right verse here. It might have been the one before. No, the uh, first part of verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's such an important statement because he's in the midst of Jews who know Scripture, who knew, knew the, the Word. He was in front of priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They all knew Scripture very well. So whenever Jesus said, I have come to, to seek and to save that which is lost, they, they would have thought about Ezekiel chapter 34. And in, in Ezekiel chapter 34, the first 16 of the 31 verses is just really challenging and chastising the shepherds. It's a word to the shepherds, and it says, My shepherds have not watched over my sheep. You have not gone out after my sheep. You have not taken care of my sheep. And he goes on and on about that. And he is, go ahead and give me that scripture there, Chad, from Ezekiel. And he's going on about the shepherds, just really telling them about how they have not watched over his sheep. And so, verse 10 says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. And he goes on, I won't continue with all the rest of the verses, but he just goes on and on about how the shepherds were not going after the sheep. And here you have in Jericho all of these people who were shepherds who were not taking care of the sheep. And he's telling them, here's one of my uh, sheep from my flock, and no one thinks he's savable. But today I'm saying, salvation has come to his house. The one who you think is the most lowly person upon the face of the earth, that's the ones I've come after. Jesus Christ, full of mercy and grace. Jesus Christ, he is the person of salvation. Salvation had come to his house. The most despicable, despised person upon the face of the earth in the eyes of a Jew. 
And Jesus has said, today, this guy, he's going to be with me. What an amazing story of Jesus' grace and his mercy. And I'm just wondering if there would be someone here this morning. It might be a long shot, but there may be someone here this morning. And maybe you feel that you've just done too much wrong. That you have gone too far. That you don't deserve God's grace. Well, there ain't any of us that deserve God's grace. It's given to us as a gift. That's why it's called grace. It is graciously given to us. We have been saved by grace, not of our works, lest any man should boast. We are graciously given a gift of salvation. Will you receive that this morning if you haven't already? Let's all stand. If there would be someone this morning who would be bold enough to raise your hand and say, I want you to pray for me. There's no better time for salvation than today. The best time for salvation is that day. Today, salvation is being spoken to you by the word of the Lord, by the the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came the most despicable, the most unwanted, those that no one else wants anything to do with. Your sin may not be that bad, but maybe you have not received Christ. Maybe you think you're a pretty good person. You might be in more danger than any if you think you're pretty good. Because our righteousness is as filthy rags. But we've been made the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Would there be anybody here that would be bold enough this morning to just raise your hand and say, I need that Jesus you're talking about. I need that grace and mercy. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for this one. May you come upon them in a powerful way. Just right there, just say, Jesus, I ask you to save my life. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to do what only you can do because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice. I thank you that you are alive. You've come out of the grave. You are alive and well, and I receive you as my Savior today. I thank you for everything that you have done. I thank you now that I am a son of the Most High. And I will live today. I'll have no other gods before you. I will serve you with gladness. I give my heart to you today. I thank you for what you're doing in my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God's good, amen. His mercy endures forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me say a prayer over you. Father, will you bless your people today as they go out, go about their day? Bless them. Bless their coming in and their going out. Bless them in the city and in the country. Bless them in their righteous dealings. Cause us all, Father, to have a heart to where we keep the 
only true and living God is number one in our lives. We bless you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.